Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. Super excited to have Carson Masterson today on the pod. Carson is creative, thoughtful, he's full of energy, he loves life, and I have no doubt that it's going to come through on today's podcast as we build with Carson. Carson, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Clay. Man, How are you I, doing? I'm doing great, doing great. So excited to have you. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to everyone out there. Yeah. So my name's Carson, uh, Carson Masterson. I worked with Clay for about three years in the technology space. I don't consider myself a, um, I guess, technologist, I would say. I'm much more interested in um, creating content and, and basically taking complex topics, complex information and making it widely digestible. Um, so I do a lot of video, I do a lot of photography, I do a lot of, um, digital design, information design, basically to present that to the masses. And I think that that's my biggest, um, skill that I've been trying to hone recently. And I take that and apply that to any sort of job or career path that I'm currently working on. Well, you've certainly done a great job. I know we're going to get into your career and the path that you've taken, and it's been very unique, especially in the technology space. So, hey, just so we can get people to to know who you are a little bit more, we're going to do a little quick fire of a couple of questions. Think out loud for us. So first one, if you could have water and one other drink for the rest of your life, what would it be? Interesting. The the My initial thought was going to Topo Chico. Uh, I know that's kind of like a uh, mineral water. I just have a connection with Austin. I lived there for two years, and it's big down there. So that was my first thought. I also just really like the brand. Um, and I'm currently doing, um, uh, I'm not drinking any alcohol. That's also another reason why I don't think it was like a, a spirit or anything like that. So I'd, I'd go with Topo Chico just because I like the brand. All right. If you could live in one country that you don't live in today, what country would that be? Ooh, okay. So I have two answers, sort of. Well, I have two and a half answers. I studied abroad in Stockholm. So I really like Stockholm, Sweden. And I've also traveled to Copenhagen quite a bit. So I'd say one one of the potential answers would be one of those two. I love the Scandinavian countries. Um the other the other answer would be somewhere where I've said, if I ever go, I'll never come back, which is like Australia, Sydney. Um, I, played in a, uh, I played a season of Australian rules football and every person, all my friends down there, I just love to death. So um, I'd probably say one of those two, Scandinavian country or Australia. All right, final one. This one may be a thinker. I'm, I'm curious how, how this plays out, especially for an artist and creative person like you. If you had a personal flag, what would be on it? 
personal flag. Interesting. I would say probably my Fresh Perspectives Only logo. I've I've actually I I can't I can't exactly say how the meaning has been created. I can't remember. Well, it's not that I can't remember. I think it's just been an evolving process as to the um, the impact and the meaning of it. Basically, Fresh Perspectives Only is a is a show. It's also a mentality, really, that I hold, where it's um, I have a thesis where if you can understand how an artist views the world through their experiences, you're able to appreciate their art on a deeper level. And so the logo of Fresh Perspectives Only is basically um, two three-line segments. The first one is horizontal. And then the second three-line segment is kind of diagonally going upwards. And it kind of shoots over the other three, where it's kind of like a cross-section of perspectives, um, the inspiration for it was a perspective drawing. So if you've ever seen a perspective drawing, you've got like two points in the horizon and then all lines kind of come from those two. Um, you can also do a three-point perspective drawing, but that's just, that is crazy town. That is complex. Um, so we're going with the two. But that was where the inspiration from the logo was. So I'd say that because I really like it. It's very minimalist. I would say probably like some level of black, gray, white gradients. Um and then maybe maybe a little bit of text, but probably not because that doesn't fit within the minimal design. But I'd say that that is definitely going to be on it. Um, I'd have to explore what other aspects of my life I would want represented there. But I think that's a good one. That's a good base layer to start, at least for V1. Uh, when you create that flag, send it my way. I happily fly it. I'll happily fly the Love fresh it. perspective flag only. So well, well done, man. Well, thank you for letting us get to know you a little bit for thinking out loud there. That's perfect. We're going to get into a lot of fun topics today, I think, but I want to start with your career because that's how you and I met. And so yep. could you walk us through how you actually got introduced to IBM? Yeah. So like I kind of mentioned earlier where it's like I, I think of how I take take on different projects. I don't really think of myself as um, I have a deep connection to IBM now because I've been here for almost four years. Um, but it's not the only thing I do and it's not how I define myself. I kind of like think about um, how I approach different, um, different projects, different jobs, different opportunities um, as, as myself. Um, so I kind of take things and apply them to different areas, provide my, my services to other people, other organizations. So that's just kind of a starter. But um, the reason why I say that is because I've had quite a meandering career thus far. Um, went to University of Illinois, started off in aerospace engineering. Um, my mom helped me make a, uh, a Neil Armstrong costume when I was in like the second grade and I wore it for like three years in a row. Uh, so I was big into space, but I also really liked architecture. And so halfway through, um, that engineering career, I kind of switched over to civil engineering, got my bachelor's master's, was doing construction management and, um, realized quickly after that career started where as much as I love construction and appreciate it, I didn't really want to do that on a day-to-day -day basis. So jumped over to a forensic engineering job where my firm served as expert witness in lawsuits for construction litigation cases. And so with that, um, in addition to doing some basically um, proactive project management, we also did a lot of forensics jobs. And that's kind of where I fell into 
um, basically an analyzing construction sites, projects that there's a litigation in and presenting that information to a jury. And that's honestly where I started um, really honing the skill of taking complexity and presenting it in a digestible manner. As much as I appreciate and really love the skills that I learned there, also realized after about two years that was not where I wanted to go um, long term. So basically started overnighting a startup with a few friends, um, ended up quitting the job, moving to Chicago, going all in on this project, uh, which was hilarious in retrospect because the two developers that we had were learning how to code iOS and me and the other uh, product managers, product designers, we were learning how to do product design. So <laughs> that's never a recipe for a successful startup. So I was actually, after about a year, living off of credit cards, um, broke as a joke. And uh, that was kind of where I was sitting in life. And where IBM comes in is I was actually in a buddy's wedding because I was you know, broke and invested all the money in the startup, didn't work didn't get any return on investment. It was kind of, um, you know, shit out of luck for providing a gift or, you know, any sort of monetary value to the wedding. Um, so what I told him was like, hey, like I'm an usher in your wedding, but you don't have a videographer yet. So I offered to film his wedding. Um, now this was probably the first big video project I'd ever done, which is also something we could bookmark for later. But I was looking at the time for product management or product design roles. And I also filmed this, uh, my, one of my best friends from high school's wedding. And so after I produced it, um, kind of showed it to the family, uh, I was talking to him and his now wife, Erica, and I was talking to them about a month after the wedding saying how, you know, I was looking for these product design roles, blah, 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 blah. And then her, she, she, Erica chimed in and she's like, Hey, like you should talk to my mom because she absolutely adores you. She loves that you made my wedding video and she wanted to talk to you about it. So I, I got on the phone with Denny within about two minutes. She said, Hey, like, I know you from this. I met you at the wedding. I know you from, you know, this video project. Um, I think you would be great at sales. And this was not on my radar at all. But funny enough, my dad has been in sales for, you know, better half of 30 years. And he's always said I would be great at it. But I guess it always takes, you know, someone that's not your parents to tell you something that, you know, makes you realize, oh, maybe I should do this. And so Denny was like, okay, yeah, you'd be great at sales. Um, I think you should meet this gentleman, Clay, which is you. And so that's how that introduction came about is that kind of long meandering road to me making a wedding video when I was broke to being introduced to you. And that was my first interaction with, um, with where I'm currently at at IBM. You've had an absolutely fascinating start to your career, Carson. I, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's amazing. It's a hodgepodge. It, it absolutely there's, is. There's and there's of connection. It, yeah. And it's, there's so many things that we can get into, I think around, you know, what it was like to, to be in a startup and to be, you know, basically living off of credit cards and for an investment not to work. I mean, there's so many dynamics within that. So I, I want to dive in a little bit before we get into your IBM, IBM career and kind of how you've carved a niche within the technology world. Would love to hear a little bit more on the startup front, because I think there's a lot of people out there who 
you know, think that, Hey, the startup path is the best, you know, I want to go throw all my money into here. I mean, what advice or thoughts or commentary do you have around someone who's thinking about jumping into a startup? Um, have the skills necessary to build a startup. That's, that's the main one. This is, this is the advice I give to everyone. And this is, I think I needed to do what I did in order to actually understand it. And it's always easier to basically hear advice than actually execute it. So, you know, maybe if you hear this advice and you still say you need to execute it, just go for it. Um, but I always talk, and this is kind of back, I'll just bring back, back the thread. I don't really associate myself with the quote job W2 uh, that I have or W4, right? So I don't associate myself with that. I associate that with what I'm trying. I associate my life with what I'm trying to do. And so, for example, if you are someone who is working in a sales job, right? So I was kind of like working in a sales job, but you want to do videography. You don't have to do a quote startup business to do videography, or you don't need to quit your job in sales to do videography. You can just do videography, period. I think that there is a, um, as much as there is like the perception and the excitement, which there is about creating a startup and, you know, quitting your job and going all in on something. There's also like way more excitement than is being given credit to, to just like exploring in your day-to-day -day life. Right. So if you're in a sales job and you want to do videography, just get your iPhone out more often. Take video, like edit video at night. Like, for example, for me, like I do photography and videography on the side of my current job. And um, well, not even current job, because now I've turned it into like a side business. So I consider all of my, I guess, quote, work opportunities as clients, if you will. But I just started by like, you know, editing, like, for example, last night, it was a Monday night, I spent four hours editing videos. And that was my evening. Um, I wasn't just sitting on the couch doing something or watching TV or anything like that. I was just spending it editing. So in terms of like, if you're thinking about a startup, why? And what are the skills on a day to day basis that you would be leveraging? And then before you quit a job or before you go all in on something, I would say, are you not already doing those on a day-to-day -day basis? And if the answer is no or partially yes, you're not ready to do a startup, in my opinion. And that was, that was kind of like what I learned because, as I mentioned, the two, the two developers were learning how to develop and the two product designers were learning how to master their designs. So that's not a recipe for success for successful business because business is all about adding value. And if you're not honing your skills to add value on a daily basis, you're not ready to do a business. Well, you have a very fresh perspective, pun intended on this because, <laughs> because you were the one, you know, you went through this personally, you went through the, oh, yeah. the act of having a startup and not having the skills. And I, I would venture to say that you, you guys failed. You guys failed oh, at, yeah, at your startup, sure. but oh, yeah. one, that's one of the best ways to learn is to fail. And you failed up eventually. I'm sure in the middle of it, it was very tough and you didn't know where your life was going. And there's probably, you know, the other folks in the startup, probably the same way, but you came out on top and you have all of these life lessons that you've now applied to other things, but you wouldn't have been able to apply them 
without actually going through the process of failing. Yeah. And that's kind of like where it's like, okay, so maybe you can hear that advice, take it, but maybe you're also like, I got to just do it. Which hey, and if your gut, yeah, yeah, if your gut's saying to go do it, then go do it, right? Go have the yeah, courage. I totally to, agree. To go, to go do it and just know that you got to be okay with failure and learn from it and, and move on to the next thing. Totally agree. I would totally, yeah. And then just from my point of view, my perspective, it's you can fail and you can fail on a daily basis. Um, and you can fail hard on a daily basis, but you don't necessarily need to push all of your financial chips in to fail, to quote fail. Um, and that's just, yeah, as you mentioned, I went through it. That's kind of my advice. That's where I would stick to it. I think it gets into a couple of questions that I have for you. And one, I'm curious how you would define your purpose or your why in life. I think it's um it's to create. It's kind of like um right. So I think about every day um I'm pretty hard on myself, but I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. Um and hard on myself in terms of like productivity, creation, action. Um, I enjoy, I'm the type of person, like I enjoy being in the chaos. Like I moved to New York city like three years ago and I feel more calm here than anywhere else. Even during the crazy pandemic, even, even during, you know, when I was traveling internationally for work, when I'd first moved here, going this way, that way, noises, sounds, people, interactions, events, da, 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 da. Right. So I, I am just the personality. Like I enjoy that. So where I can offer the most value and when I when I get into I guess quote flow state um, is when I'm creating whether that be you know for example this conversation um, this is it is a conversation and you're sharing words but you're also it's being recorded you're going to be sharing it there's a multiple uh, this is a multi-purpose conversation you're really using it for other purposes other people can listen to it I also do photography I do videography and I think that as simple as it is to create, as simple as a why that is, I also like how simple it is. Um, there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of people that can get bogged down in in repetition of questioning of thought, and I don't really enjoy that kind of repetition of thought. It's where I get the most anxious. It's where I stress myself out the most. And I was listening to a, um, I'm reading this book uh, called Effortless. Oh my gosh, who's the author? Let me, let me get the author. But basically the, the book is called Effortless and it's all about living an effortless life. Um, and for me personally, having a very simple why is very good. It's by Greg McEwen. And um, yeah, so I, I think that my why is basically just to create for nothing other than the reason of I enjoy it and I think it's fun. And why not? One of the hardest things to figure out is your why and your purpose in life. I mean, that's a very deep philosophical, you got to reach down and think about that for more than just a day. That's something that evolves over time. And you've thought about it. And I can tell, and the fact that you can bring that down to such a simple yet complete statement is mm -hmm. a testament to kind of the way that your brain works and the way that you approach life. You mentioned flow state, getting into the flow is, I mean, that's where we have our, our most happiness, right? That's where the most joy comes from is when we are in a flow state, when we, when time is almost warped, 
right? Where minutes seem like hours or hours seem like minutes. And we have so much joy and there's a, you're, you're right in the flow of your passion, whatever it is, you're not distracted at all. And you come out of that flow state and you're like, wow, that, that was incredible. And so creation and creating things, videos, art, whatever it is for you, is you get into that flow state and you have happiness. And ideally, I'm sure that you would love that whatever you do create can bring joy or happiness or some level of emotion to others. Yeah. So that's a really foundational element for us here is, is your why. So to create another foundational element is a growth mindset. So I'd be curious, there's a lot of ways to define what a growth mindset is. So I would be very curious as to how you would define what a growth mindset is. Yeah. So I think, um, right. So I'll associate, I, 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 like I said, I've, I've had different careers, but I really like the, um, I've, I freaking love architecture. Like I love construction. I think buildings are fascinating. I had a conversation with one of my friends here in New York over the summer and we were just looking out over the city and she was saying how she needed to get out of the city because she felt stressed. And a lot of people feel like that with New York, right? It's like very chaotic. Um, and she said she needed to get out of the cities just to kind of catch her breath and calm down, which is totally fair, totally fair. But I offered my perspective, which is complete opposite of that, where it's like, okay, I kind of view the city as really calming because it's one of the few places on the planet where literally everything you touch, see, interact with was built. And if you think about how that was built, it's, it's a, it's a community of people who've spent their life's work studying architecture, studying bridge structural design, studying urban spaces, studying subways, right? People, people like, you know, bitch about the subway sometimes in New York City. I actually quite love it. Um, it's 100 years old. And at the time, it was like revolutionary. And fun fact, the, I think it's ABC and the 123 the reason why it's ABC and 123 is those used to be separate companies. So when they started, they were two private companies, and that's why they were competing with, you know, 123 ABC. Um, and then when the New York City, uh, I guess, transit system purchased it, what, I don't know, 80, 100 years ago, they just merged the two, but they didn't change the line names. Huh. So that's why you have the lines that are different. Um, and some of it doesn't really make sense because they were all private companies that were different. But anyway... So I think of it's like, okay, it's really fascinating that this bridge that I'm walking over, driving over, or this park bench that I'm sitting on, it was like someone, this is someone's like dream project. And they just spent 50 years studying urban design so that you could sit on this bench with these trees around you because they wanted to have a communal space and they wanted to have birds chirping and they wanted you to have your coffee there drinking on your Tuesday morning before your meeting. Right. So it's like I think of that as like a really interesting way to view growth, because then you also think about it. Now, imagine like imagine yourself just getting in the same spot of New York City, but like 500 years ago, like there's literally nothing, nothing there. It's just forest. So now imagine starting from scratch of saying, OK, right, Clay, now you have to build New York City. That would be hard. It's like, oh, wow, that's like overwhelming. <laughs> So, um, so in terms of growth, right, I think about it in terms of like a construction project because I've, I've been familiar with it and like, I have this, I have this like photography series that I, I've been starting to do more of, more of, more of, 
whether it's, um, you know, building a building or building like a physique, like a body, like none of those, none of those, I guess you could call them construction projects, growth projects happen overnight. And the reason why I like them is because no matter how much money you throw at like your fitness and your wellness, or no matter how much money you throw at your, you know, construction project or anything that takes time, um, that's the beauty of it is it's not going to happen overnight. You can't physically build a building overnight. No matter if you had all the money in the world, if you had all the riches, all the wealth, no one could build a building in 24 hours. Depending, right. Depending on what type of building you could build a hut in 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, you could challenge my five-year-old. I bet he could build a fort in a day. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly, exactly. You get, but you get the point, right? It's like, okay, to build something, to build the Burj Khalifa, you're not going to build that in a 24-hour period, no matter how much money you have. You have to throw time, effort, work on it. The other reason why I like that analogy is in terms of a growth mindset, it's like, okay, you have a blueprint, um, but it's, you can't do everything at once. Like if you have the blueprint to build the pyramids of Giza, right? You can't just do everything at once. You have to think sequentially. You have to think tactically. It's like, okay, well, I need to excavate. So let's do that first because then I can build a foundation. And then you can kind of start to identify parallel activities where maybe I can be grabbing the stones at the same time that I am, you know, working on the entranceway. Or maybe I can start working on the interiors and the, you know, the ivory on the side, right? So there's like, it, it gets to the point where after you get going, after you start working on the very first activity and you get going with the excavation, then you can work on the foundation. And now that you've gotten, you know, started, there becomes complexities that you can start to overlap in parallel. So I think if, if I'm thinking about a growth mindset, growth, if you think of a plant, it's like it starts as a seed and then it grows. So you have to start with that first simple activity. And then there can be growing complexities within that. But it's like a growth mindset is you should start with a very, very, very minimum. And then it has to be building off of one another in a holistic, strategic mindset. That's kind of like how I view it. I, I'm not surprised that your your brain went into construction, into architecture. What I heard from that is kind of treating your growth, whatever your personal growth is, as a construction project and having that blueprint, but you got to just get started and you got to start small, build that foundation up, and then you can really, really blossom and grow from there. But you got to have that, exactly. found, you got to have that foundation first and, and you got to have a little patience. You talked about time and effort and time is a, is a key thing in, in growth because it doesn't happen overnight. You don't just, if you want to, you know, have a six pack, you don't just get a six pack overnight. If you want to lose 20 pounds, you don't just lose 20 pounds overnight at least healthily. Right. So, and, and, and the other, the other beauty with that too, is if you do that, start simply, like a lot of people, a lot of people are like, like I've been in a depressed state and I've been in a point where I'm like, I don't know what the hell I want to do. And the beauty of the analogy, right? So if you just start with the basics, which is what, in my opinion, any growth mindset really needs, like, what are the basic things your body needs? Oh, you need water and you need really good foods and you need to move. Perfect. That's what you start with. 
um, your mind, you maybe need to meditate. I, I personally don't meditate. Um, I kind of like use walks and strolls and photography. Well, there, there is a that, concept but... of walking meditation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So like, I guess the point, the point of what I'm saying is that is your foundation because no matter, like you could want to be the world's best director or you could want to have the best podcast on the planet or you could be the best architect or you could be the best um, quantum physicist. Right. So you could be, you could, you could have all of these things in your mind of where you want to grow, or you could have no freaking idea. You can be like, I have no idea what I want to do. Regardless of where you're at in terms of the direction you want to go, those base level activities, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like that's where you should start, regardless of how clear the path is. Because if you think the way I thought about it when I was in like a depression or when I was, you know, when I'm stressed out or when I'm not feeling myself, it's like, okay, I'm in this lull. What is the Carson I want to be when I'm out of that depressed state? Or what is the Carson I want to be when I know the direction I want to be? Well, I want to be, you know, I want my body to be operating on a hundred percent level. I want my mind to be really refreshed and clean and crisp. Um, I want to have energy. I want to have, you know, all of these base things because then it's like, okay, let's say you have two versions of yourself right? You're Clay right now um, who has this podcast idea and another Clay who has this podcast idea. Which Clay would you rather be? The one who is feeling lethargic, um, who is, you know, not eating well, who doesn't have good basic habits, or the one that is super energetic, wakes up every morning at a certain time, eats really good, works out, does this, journals, like what are the, which Clay would you rather be? Basically? It seems like a leading question. Obviously, this right, is exactly. It is a leading question. <laughs> it's to make the point, but that's that's where I start with every. If you have a project or if you have an idea, it doesn't mean that you have to spend like months and months doing it. But it's like, get, like talking about getting started. Like getting started is so so simple, and people overcomplicate it. It's like that to me is where you get started on any project. Yeah, I think we as humans have a tendency to plan and strategize and then plan and then strategize and then keep that cycle up without inserting action without inserting just yeah. starting because starting is hard starting it's not it's hard and it's not hard it's hard because it probably makes us a little bit vulnerable to start even if it's just something that we're doing ourselves and that vulnerability can cause us to think I, i'm not perfect at this yet so i must I must plan more. I must strategize more. But the ironic thing is, is that perfection doesn't come until you actually get started and you learn and you get better. And then you can, and then you can reach a, maybe not perfection, but closer to perfection. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a catch 22 if you don't start because you're, you're never going to get better if you don't start. Yeah. Well, this brings us to kind of back to you know, you, you started your technology career. You you, you made a, a wedding video. You and I got linked <laughs> up. We start. You started at at IBM. You've been there for a while. I know you. You know, you, you're into a bunch of other things that we're going to certainly touch on. But there's a lot of people that go and start their career, and you started your career in sales, and now you're in a basically completely different role. But it's because you created this role. So can you walk mm -hmm. us through? how that process worked because I think the creation of a role, especially within a large organization is not easy. 
but you not yeah. only created a role, but you did it with the passions and the ideas that you had and the things that, you know, going back to your why you want to create, that is your, that is your stated purpose in life. And you've been yeah. able to find that even in a corporate job. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I always, I always make fun of, I always make fun of just the tech world, not in a, not in a bad way, but just in a, I just don't get it kind of way. There's a lot of things that happen in the tech world. And if you're in tech, you kind of understand it's like, there's all these definitions that get thrown around and it's like just different acronyms, different definitions for different things, different, uh, like you're basically creating your own language type deal. And in my opinion, it's just like, it's silly. Um, because oftentimes you kind of lose track of what the actual purpose of whatever it is you're defining is. And it's, you know, is this new tech word or is this new technological advancement word? Is that actually a technological advancement or are you just repackaging, you know, your definition? So that's just like a starter of how I view. What's an example um, of that, Carson? Within the world of IT, the word data is used all of the time. It's a buzzword, in my opinion, and it's the worst buzzword in the industry, at least from a data and AI standpoint. And I have to use the word to explain it. Because what it, what data is, the word data is is literally everything. Like your geographic position and my geographic position is data. Like what time of day, where we are in space, um, all the items in my room right now, um, what the specs on my camera that is right next to me, What that's all data points, right? So it is a word that means literally everything and nothing when you use it as just saying something like, your business should have access to all of its data. That doesn't help me. That is just saying you should have everything. Like, what does that mean? That means nothing, right? So when you say that word without a, like an intent or an explanation or a vision of what you're actually doing, where it's like, okay, you're trying to do a podcast. I think it would be really important for you to understand, you know, where your guests um, social platforms are and how to link up to it. You also want to make sure you have a linking um, theme between each show. So there should be a set of questions that you're gathering information and answers on. You should also make sure that you're aware of how long um, you want each show to be, et cetera, et cetera. Like I could have just said, hey, Clay, you need to make sure you have all the data necessary for a podcast. But there's not actually a meaning behind that. And that's where I think language can be misused and misunderstood by a lot of people a lot of the time because in, it's all about communication and I could say something I'm saying something right now and there's different behaviors or actions that you can take to make sure that the message of of what I'm trying to say is is transferred and when you use buzzwords and when you use words without actually uh, a point of view or an understanding or a reason why you're using them you can often you know, leave a lot of room for interpretation. And that's guys, I guess that's, that's a little offshoot of your question, but that's kind of like how I think about communication. Yeah. And I'll, we'll get you back on the pathway that you were on before, but it resonates with me because I've been in the tech world for a decade now. And I mean, the number of three letter acronyms, the number of buzzwords, it's wild. I think the intention of those words is to create understanding but what it actually does is creates confusion and complexity that then requires someone to come in and simplify it. 
Yeah, it's just repackaging. A lot of it is just repackaging or a, a lack of true understanding of what's happening. Like, and, and, and what I mean by a lack of true understanding of what's happening, it's not that you don't have the language down of, you know, all these buzzwords, all these tech words. It's just like, you don't need to make things more complex to sound intelligent. Or to be impressive. I think, Carson, I think that's a really important point because there's a, I think that there's some, there's something in our brains that makes us think that we have to sound intelligent. And in order to sound intelligent, we have to use big words, long sentences. And instead, intelligence is actually like uber simplification. And Mm -hmm. That is the true form of an, of intelligence, in my opinion, is if you have the ability to take something that's so complex and make it extremely simple, that is one of the hardest things to do. And organizations and people across the world, especially in the technology space, struggle with that. And those that can, that can get out of that and, o- and almost oversimplify something so that so many people can understand it and then you get scale and with scale comes profits and all the things that a corporation wants. Those are the people that, that truly can differentiate themselves. I'm going to yes. And you, I'm going to yes. And you back to kind of my word of, uh, or the explanation of words, right? So when you say simplification, I'm going to yes. And you in terms of, I think that what is, what is simplification? What does that mean? And I view it as, do you understand the, you know, the impact and causality of what you're doing and what you're saying or of the system that you're a part of, right? So oversimplification or simplification of a, your, of, of a technology is, do you understand how the system works? Do you understand why the technology can impact someone's life? Uh, do you understand how that, that, that phone can be used within a meeting or within an airplane or, or in the morning or this or that and how that can be a part of your life, right? And then if you have that understanding or if you're trying to seek out that understanding, that is where simplification can come from because then it's you're, you're contextualizing um, you know, what you're trying to say within an experience because the, the simplest thing that we all have is our experience. So that is what I think simplification is all about. I'm going to pull us back and I know I pulled us away. So I'm going to pull us back. Yeah. We got into, we got into the data, right? The, the simplification, all of that. So you, you started to notice this, you started to notice this in your career and early in your career. And you have this why of that you want to create. And I think there was probably a, a bit of a personal struggle of, Hey, I, I want, or friction maybe of, I know my why is to create. And I don't really feel like I'm doing that for a large majority of my day. And that friction kind of turned into what over time? Yeah. So the, the reason why I think we started that was that I was talking about, cause you were asking about role, asking how I transformed that. And then, so I was thinking about the word role or job, right? You could think about the word role and job. Like what is a job? What do you think a job is clay? Something is, that you spend your time on and you get paid for your time. Yeah. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's basically like you're trying to add value or it, cause it's a, it's a, it's a, if you think about money, it's, it's money is really a store of value. 
it is a it is a figurative and literal quote store of value and that's why that's the the store of value thing is how i usually describe crypto because people seem to you know think it's this ridiculously complex thing and they don't get it it's like it's nothing more than a different store of value it's technology based rather than paper and gold based so if you think about a job is there's something that is needed to be done in terms of value that they want to exchange whoever they is whether it's a, a job or a corporation or whatever and they just want to exchange value with you so they want your value or they want you to provide value and then they want to give you value so it's just an exchange um so unless you're doing like a job like you know heart surgery or you could think of law as like a very you know X's and O's and pretty defined and but even as I say those things it's like even those areas you can have doctors that are either better skilled or more creative with how they can perform a heart surgery or they consider more aspects of the patient's life um they get creative with it right they they think differently about how they can give value so I think that that's kind of the theme of how I think about a quote job it's like okay I, I like all of these things. I, I like doing all of these things in my life. That's, that's how I provide value. You could consider to like people or things in my life. And, and I think that there's there, too often people look at like a job description and they're like, oh man, like this job would be perfect for me. But then they get in the job and it's like, oh, this is totally different. Um, I think of it as like, okay, what is the key, what is the baseline level of value that you need me to give you? And in what way are you thinking you need me to give it to you? So like, I was very fortunate in sales. Sales is really like talking, I, I brought up like the heart surgery thing or like the law thing because there's some, I, I'm not like a doctor or a lawyer or anything, but I'm sure that there's some pretty basic things that you must do in a, in a sequential order. And it's pretty well defined. Fortunately for me in sales is it was, um, it's a little less structured with a very simple value transfer um, defined where it's like, okay, well, we're going to give you a quota of X amount of dollars for the year. That's a really simple value transfer where we're going to give you Y amount of dollars if you sell X amount. Like that's pretty cut and dry. And so they give you like, you know, I'm sure corporations or businesses have certain ways that they think sales should happen. But at the end of the day, if you get that X amount of sales, like you're doing your job. And so that's kind of what I was thinking about with, um, you know, my IBM career is like I was thinking, okay, well, they're telling me to do this very simple thing. It's very, very clear as to what my measurement is. Um, I don't want to do it the way that most people do it. And that's when I started making like videos or designing different graphics because there were certain aspects of the technology that I either didn't understand. So it was more so like I needed it or I didn't want to explain certain things in certain ways to my customers where it's like, okay, I'd rather make this three minute video explaining my concept in a really clear way that I understand um, to facilitate my conversations or, you know, maybe I will redesign this PDF so I can present this in a way that I'd be proud of or, or something like that. 
Um, and that's kind of like how I approached it. So, um, so I'd say it, that's, that's like how I view a quote job or a role. You started getting into how you approach things a little bit differently, or maybe a lot differently from the traditional way. So to explain the traditional way that Carson was, was talking about in a sales role is that the traditional way in a corporate sales job is here's your quota. We're going to pay you X amount to Carson's point. If you achieve this quota or this sales figure. And the way that we traditionally have you go do that is you go make connections with people, build relationships with people, and go sell the product. And the way to do that is by via phone call, flying to meet them, having online discussions, staying connected with them via email, and trying to meet as many people as possible, all through the means of traditional communication mechanisms. And Carson, it seems like what you figured out was... Hey, that that may be the way that that the traditional way is, but I I know I can create probably better than ninety nine percent of salespeople, right? I understand videography, I understand photography, I understand design because of your unique background. So why not use that? Differentiate yourself a little bit, and potentially not only differentiate yourself amongst your peers, but differentiate yourself amongst salespeople who are reaching into clients. So a a client could receive 10 sales calls in a day, right? Someone they're calling them, emailing them saying, Hey, talk to me. I want to talk about your business problems. I want to talk about your product. But if, you know, the 11th person is Carson coming across with a three minute video talking about, you know, the business value or the ROI or anything related to the product or anything related to his company can bring, that's a complete differentiator. Right. You have, you just had 10 people call you or email you. And then you have Carson sending you a three minute video. And that's like, oh, hey, that's interesting. And maybe that gets you a conversation. And that conversation maybe leads to another conversation, which then eventually could lead to a relationship or, or a sale if the solution makes sense for this person's business problem. Exactly. So you carved yourself a role. I mean, that's basically what you did. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so I started making these videos to do my sales job differently as an individual. And then people started to identify as like, Hey, that's a, that's a, an additional value talking about value transfer. That's an additional value that we don't have at least maybe not mass produced. Um, Hey, could you do this project for us? And this is a different team, different sales team. Sure. Yeah. Cause I have, you know, an extra 10 hours this week. Um, Hey, could you make us this? Hey, could you make us that? Like, yes, yes, yes. Cool, cool, cool. Value transfer, value transfer, value transfer. But that was like without, you know, any additional, um, I guess, compensation or whatever. But it was basically like, this is the value I add and I like to do it. So, you know, then I was in, uh, I was in Tulum for New Year's Eve 2020. And I got a call from my now manager and he was like, hey, you're now on my team and I want you to just create. Um, we're going to use you as like kind of a, um, like a shadow marketing, shadow design, sales, SWAT content team. So yeah, so for the last two years, my job has been entirely um, content led. I still do sales activities. Um, I, think, I think of myself as a really good salesperson in a traditional sense. Like when I would go speak at conferences, I get the highest NPS scores. I like speaking to people. I like talking to customers. It's really fun. Um, but I think my differentiator where I can really shine is in that content world. So um, 
it's also a unique style of content. I think when most people think of it as a creative or a content creator, they think of, oh, this, you know, hair and shampoo commercial or this uh, travel vlog where you're just looking at a hotel room or, um, you know, let's test out this first class airline seat or let's go to Bali for two weeks and do a bunch of yoga in the jungle, right? So I think when most people think of an influencer or a content creator, that's what they lean to. But I think there's a whole world of complexity of technology that can really use the modern world of content creation or the modern definition of quote influencer or vlogger, but apply it to subjects that are much more complex um, and require a level of sophistication that, um, you know, I think is evolving within the, the world of video, videography, vlogging and in that medium, but it's just applying it to a more complex, sophisticated topic. Carson, it's amazing that you took your why, which is to create, and not only did you start creating videos and new design elements and assets for sellers to use across the world, you also created a job. You created your own role, <laughs> you created a job, and that is, it's very impressive. And I, I'd be curious if you were to reach back into, you know, maybe two and a half, three years ago, when you felt a little bit of that friction you started to think that this is that you wanted to start doing things differently, but you knew it would be different. You knew that you would stick out in probably a strange way. So how did you, or did you have to convince yourself that you were doing the right thing, even though you were doing things differently? I don't think there was, I, let me think, let me think. I think that there's a, my initial thought to that question, Clay, was I was thinking back to the third grade. <laughs> obviously that's where I thought um, you'd, you'd go. Yeah. The third grade. Yeah. Uh, Miss Anki's class. She was the bomb. I don't think it's actually a point in time or I don't think it's a, a struggle with the actual action. Right. Cause you're talking about like having a conflict and the, I, I will, I would agree that I had conflict, but I don't think it was within actually what I was doing. I think it was within the, um, the realization of like, I can just be myself doing everything. So, and it's the realization of basically everything I've explained of, you know, you're not defined by your job. You're defined by who you are and what you like to do and the way you add value. And sure, you might have to apply that value add skill set or those value adds in different ways and manners. Like, you know, for example, like you're talking about um, like the whole point of this podcast, Clay, is like you're, you like mentorship, right? That's part of who you are, but you're applying that to this podcast, but you probably also apply it to your family, your kids, your wife. You also probably apply that when you're working with someone. You probably apply that when you're grabbing a cup of coffee and you might see someone struggling with something and they're like, hey, can you help me? He's like, yeah, sure. Like, have you thought about doing it this way? Right? So it's like, it's the freedom of um, expression to what you're doing and applying it to. It, it resonates with me because you're right. I mean, I, I really enjoy growth in others. I really enjoy the, the mentorship aspect, being a sounding board, whatever, however that manifests itself. And it is certainly infused into most interactions within my life. And, yeah. and I think that's what you've done is, is creation of whatever is is infused and is manifesting itself in all aspects of your life your w2 
you know, your evenings, your conversations with people, your interest, they all revolve around this aspect of creation. Yeah. And the reason why I thought about the third grade is with, um, or maybe it was the fourth grade when we started those. Maybe it was Mr. Tunnell's class. I think it was fourth grade. We had this thing with composition books, but we had um, in, in the, I think it was, maybe it was fourth grade, but, but we basically had to do, you know, once a week we had to do like, okay, we're going to do the states this year where you, you pick a word, where you define the word, you pick a person, you do a person, you do a state information about the states. So you're basically learning about different topics each week. And maybe there was like five categories. That is like an activity. That's a job. That was my job as a third grader or fourth grader, whatever it was. But like, I could have done just the job of like writing down information about each thing. But I remember like, and my, <laughs> I remember my mom being like, you need to like, just get your stuff done. Because I was like, just, you could call it distraction, but I was like, just doing a million other things where I was like, I was looking at a map of this state and drawing it out for like 20 minutes, like hand drawn, like making sure I have every little Island, every little, you know, aspect of it. I was making my, composition book like three-dimensional like you know flaps of paper that I glued on there and just different colored borders and each week had a different theme and it was like really complex and intricate way more than anyone else's I think um, or at least different than everyone else's this just doesn't surprise me at all Carson <laughs> yeah so like like that is like you know I think about that but I'm also like now the way I would view that is like, yeah, that's just exactly what I'm doing now. It's kind of like a comfort within yourself and how you express yourself and um, how you how you do that value transfer. And it's like once you actually realize like, oh, this is how I just do things, own that because then it's not a matter of it's 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 no longer about the job. It's like how you're applying your expressive self to different activities. Carson, I'm curious. So I have an answer for myself, but I can, I'll share first. I'll ask the question I'll share. And then I'd love for you to share is at what point did you realize that your identity was not with your job was not like you, I think you have such an interesting approach that this is just your life. This is your passion you want to create. And however that manifests itself through a W2 or, or any other means is, is wonderful. And of course you got to have the financials backing and, and, to be able to have a, have a life that you want to have and a fulfilled life. But so for me, it was when my, when my dad passed. So my dad passed, mm -hmm. he passed at about the age of 61, um, diagnosed with ALS and passed away pretty quickly. He was on the verge of retirement. And I saw through that process when I saw him go from super healthy, was in the, was in the gym and swimming every day, um, was doing fantastic in his job, was on the cusp of retirement, ready to go travel to probably the countries that, you know, I know he wanted to go to Australia. He, he wanted to go over to Europe, all those things. And then, you know, his life gets taken by a disease. And I saw that firsthand as a 30 year old thinking, wow, like it could all go away just like that. It was that stark realization that, you know, you've heard it a hundred times, you've read stories, you've seen movies, TV shows, but experiencing it firsthand seeing you know your your personal hero and pass away like that and not be able to experience the life he had and had so much of his identity wrapped up in in his work and he did a fantastic job in work and but 
that's that was a big part of his identity and seeing that he couldn't have the other parts of his identity because he was so wrapped up in that mm-hmm. it um it was a big it was a big realization for me personally to to sit back and think what do i want in life like what are my priorities in life and what are the things that i have a passion for and you hit the nail on the head with one of them is around mentorship and other other people's growth and how do i infuse that not only into my job my W-2, but how I spend my time outside of my W-2. Because if that's going to bring me the most fulfillment and is going to bring me the most joy to my life and to to the lives of others, then why do I need to deny that gift and wrap my identity around one thing when I can wrap my identity around this broader thing and incorporate it Mm -hmm. into whatever the other stuff is happening? Yeah. So for you, yeah. I'm curious, what, when did that, what, was there a moment or like what, how, how did you come to this realization? Hmm. I don't know if there was a particular aha moment. Um, I'm just thinking through, I mean, I just turned 30 a few weeks ago. So I've been like doing a lot of like self-reflection. So I don't know, maybe that has something to do with it. Um, and just in terms of like how clearly I can articulate things right now. I think it was more so just like, uh, you you ever have those people in life where you're like, I don't really know how I met you, but like you kind of just rolled into my life and it's like, <laughs> I'm glad you're there. Yep. That's what this is. <laughs> um, because like, like actually now, like as I was explaining, I, you asked the question. I was like, "Oh, Miss Anke's or Mr. Tunnell's class, third or fourth grade? I think it was fourth grade." So, Mr. Tunnell, give him credit. As I thought about that, right, I'm also thinking about like, okay, what was my first paying job? Like, I worked, I worked at a gym. I was cleaning things, folding towels, and it's like something as simple as folding towels. Like, how do you fold towels? Like, I remember doing that for like hours. Like, that was my first paid gig, like freshman year of high school, right? And, um, like, I remember like very loving to make sure I'm like really OCD or at least the way I, I, I'm not OCD. I don't have like a medical or anything like that, but I think it's like, I say it as OCD, but what I really mean is like, I think that having things neat and tidy and organized and clean to me is just, it's aesthetically better. So now I'm thinking about that job. I'm like, oh, well, like I loved making sure that each towel fold was really clean and crisp and then in line and this way and that way and I would make it even right so it's like you can think about it like that that job in and of itself I'm like oh yeah I was doing the same thing as I was doing in my current global sales leadership role when I was folding towels it's like I approached it the same way um so I think that there's there's it's not like a I don't have an aha moment but like now that I'm thinking through everything I've done, it's like, okay, here is what makes me, me, and here's what I enjoy. And maybe that's a way to define it, uh, is, is not, not necessarily an aha moment, but the realization of different ways in which you appreciate expressing yourself or that you enjoy, or you get enjoyment from life. And that can be like a, as you're talking about growth mindset, you don't have to figure out everything you like in life right now. That doesn't have to be an aha moment. That can be a, Oh, wow. Like, I just realized, like, I like things that are, you know, nice and tidy and perpendicular and parallel. Like, I like clean, contrasting lines. Like, okay, I like that. Let me apply that to everything I do. 
or you know you like mentorship well i let me just apply that to everything i do like let me just experiment with how i can take my conversations that i'm having and turn that into more of a podcast or a repetitive discussion that i can share with other people like that's just you realizing hey i like this thing let me just do more of that so i don't think it's uh i don't think of it as an, an aha moment maybe it was just more identifying really really clear ways in which I like life and I like expressing myself. And then going after it. I think that's the big, and then going after yeah, it. that's the big difference is we, we talked earlier about just starting. You can plan, you can strategize, but just getting started. And if you have this realization or you have this gut or inner urge or something speaking to you that says, Hey, I like this, or I like this aspect. And then thinking about what are the ways that I can apply that to other aspects of my life, because if you really like that, then why would you not want to have more of it? Right. And it is certainly an evolution. I mean, you've talked about going from folding towels all the way now to, you know, getting involved in, uh, you know, NFTs and crypto and, you know, infusing this stuff into your job, into, you know, all the side things that you're doing. I mean, it's, it's infused throughout your entire ecosystem of Carson Masterson, but yeah, that was an evolution and it's no different from my evolution where maybe I had this, I can, I can point back to a specific aha moment, but that was almost a prioritization aha moment. Like I knew innately that I enjoyed growth in others. I enjoyed mentorship, but it was a reprioritization of this needs to be higher on the priority list and starting to infuse into other aspects of my life and fully embrace that. And that, that takes time. I mean, my dad passed three years ago and it's, it's a continued evolution as to how I infuse that concept more into my life. It doesn't happen overnight, but just getting started and thinking about what are ways to do this and experimenting to your point earlier. What are, uh, what are some of the life lessons that your dad gave you that you really appreciate? Oh, that's a good one, man. I, one of my favorite sayings of his, and I know he got this from, I think a philosopher, was is that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason basically saying that we've got to listen twice as more than as we talk and he came from a sales background and I come from a sales background you know a lot thanks to him and the traditional sales methodology is talk 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 and go in and you know lead conversations but listening is actually what can provide more sales than anything because you actually get to hear what other people's challenges and problems are. And then you can apply whatever the solution is to those problems. But if you never listen, then how are you supposed to learn? And that's just applying it to my job, right? Into my W2. I mean, this, this holds true for marriage. It holds true with your kids. It holds true with your friends, strangers. I mean, so that's one of the best life lessons that, that my dad provided. And, and the other was, of course, I would much rather have him around today, no doubt about it. But he provided a gift with his passing. And that gift was for me to reprioritize. And I think I think mm -hmm. my brother would probably say the same thing is that we were probably a little bit too wrapped up in what we were doing from a from a job standpoint and not wrapped up enough in truly what is important or what we believe is important in our life. And so that gift, you know, he keeps giving 
over time because anytime I hit a lull or I get a little anxious or stressed or depressed, whatever the case may be, you know, I can lean on that gift that he gave. And, you know, even if it's, even if it's, you know, I love to work out. I know you love to work out. Even if it's, I wake up and I'm like, man, the last thing I want to do right now is hop on the bike or go on a run or lift. And I think my dad would give anything to be able to lift one more time, to be able to get in the pool one more time. And if that doesn't give you motivation, then, you know, I don't know what will. Yeah. And the way I kind of think about those gifts is uh, like people always say, it's like, oh, like, do you think we'll be able to time travel someday? Uh, Like, I personally think time travel is already happening and it can be done better and better and better depending on how you design it. Um, And what I mean by that is, right, so... I feel like your dad is still with you always. And I feel like the things that he was saying to you and the things, the lessons that he wanted to give to you and the things that we would tell you today, like they're still there. And the reason why they're able to travel through time is because he probably consistently told you those things. And he was like, Hey, Clay, this is, this is how I want you to think about things. This is where, this is where I view, these are my views. And he articulated them in a way that helped you kind of remember them and be able to recall and in a way he like, yeah, he literally taught you certain ways to think or certain ways to, that he, he thought. And it's like, I think of like, for example, I think of, uh, you know, memories of my granny who passed last summer. Uh, like I can, she's right here right now. Like I remember her, I remember certain things she said. I remember certain lessons she gave me certain things that I have of hers. It's like, Oh, it's like all these lessons can travel through time. All of these, uh, memories travel through time and it's kind of like just the way you think about it where um sure physically maybe you're not there but you're also still there from a mental capacity one thing i struggled with is i've got two little kids at home a five and a three-year-old who both met my dad but very you know they obviously my three-year-old has no memory of him but my five-year-old has fleeting memories of him and i've always been concerned about that you know my dad wouldn't have been around you know their granddad is is they're not going to be able to learn from them. And there's been multiple people in my life that have said, no, they're those lessons that he gave you, you're going to pass along to your kids. And so he's going to live Mm -hmm. through you and they're, they're going to be able to, even though maybe they think it's coming from their dad when really it's coming from, you know, my dad. And I guess you could probably go down the genealogical line and say, Hey, it's from his dad and from their mom. And, you know, you can go, you can go down. It's a thing from the Davises. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. And (laughs) exactly. And so it's, it's an interesting way to think about it. And it's, it's refreshing, you know, because I know that they're not going to physically have him around, but if they can mentally have him around in his lessons and, you know, then, uh, you know, he continues to give that gift. Yep. Yep. Love that. Well, we just went a little bit deep. So I appreciate you asking about, you know, my father and, uh, cause that, that has a big reason into, you know, why I'm doing this podcast and why, you know, my, why my purpose in life. So we've, we talked a lot about your career, Carson, and you've shared a lot about, you know, the, the pathway that you've had and it's super interesting journey and all the life lessons that you've had, but you've, you've come to this realization that you have a why to create and, and then you have this growth mindset around building, right? Having this blueprint of, okay, if I want to create, and I want to create in all aspects of my life. Well, where does it interest me most? And recently, you started to get into this whole crypto universe. 
of mm-hmm. and so I'd love to understand your journey into that. And then as we think about simplification, th- that crypto universe can seem so wild and so technologically advanced, crazy. I would love to yep. hear from your point of view, from a creator's point of view, and someone who's so good at simplifying things is how you would explain cryptocurrency. I've developed an analogy. Uh, oh, look out. And I've developed an analogy. And I think it's actually, I've said it a few times, I think it hits home pretty well. Because I mentioned, I mentioned at the very beginning, right? Talking about Topo Chico, right? I mentioned like, okay, I'm not drinking this month. I, I don't have problem with alcohol, right? So, but I have, you know, had too many drinks one or two times in my life, right? Um, probably a few more times than that. But if I go into a room and I'm just, you know, if I'm wasted and I'm just, you know, having a good time, but also kind of making a fool of myself and people I meet there are like, oh, that's kind of like off-putting. Like, this is all that I see or this is all that I understand about Carson. Like, that doesn't sound like, that. that's not, I don't really jive with that. Like, that's this is probably how he applies everything in life. That's, in my opinion, the current state of a lot of people's perception on NFTs in particular. Because a lot of people that I hear are like, oh, this is just like a Ponzi scheme. You're selling a JPEG to make a, a ton of money. Like, what the hell is this? This is this is nonsense. Um, that would be the equivalent of me showing up to a party wasted, meeting a bunch of new people. <laughs> That's kind of the analogy I hold. All right. So good good analogy. Can you back up and explain at the highest of levels what an NFT is? Yeah. So an NFT. So, okay. The reason why I said that analogy is because people know what money is. People know what cash is. They know what the U.S. dollar is. And they know what a Ponzi scheme is. And they also know who Pablo Picasso is. So they can compare a couple things. So right now, people's perception of an NFT is they see a JPEG of a, an ape or a, a crypto punk, which is basically just, you know, 100 pixels. And they're like, this isn't art. And you're, you're selling it for $750,000 when you bought it for 20000 six months ago. Like, that's a scheme. Like, there's something up here. So that's that's why I brought that the analogy up because a lot of people, a lot of headlines, a lot of people I talk to, that's their only understanding of it. So let's get into the understanding of it, right? So to understand what an NFT is, you first have to understand what crypto is. Now, this is a very, very, very simple uh, comparison. There's a lot more complexity to it, but oftentimes you don't really need to understand how your iPhone works to know how to message on it. You don't need to understand the complexity. Um, the U.S. dollar it has a $72 trillion market cap, give or take a couple, you know, hundreds of billions, $72 trillion. The current crypto market cap is $2.5 trillion. It hit $3 trillion a couple weeks ago, but with the volatility, um, it's about two point five today. November 23rd, 2021, it's about two point five. So... You can consider crypto nothing more or nothing less than just a store of value. And the way in which it's being represented today is a store of value compared to the U.S. dollar because we understand what that is, right? So it's nothing more than, than that. And if you think about our stores of value from a communication standpoint, from a social standpoint, over the last 10 years, We've completely revolutionized the, 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 quote, value store of our communication. 
like I'm not physically with you right now, Clay, but we're talking and this is going to be shared digitally. So this is a digitally native uh, uh, store of communication. I, I'm on Instagram all the time. I'm on, uh, 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 you know, reading different blogs all the time. I'm, I'm looking at different art all the time. People, people talk about memes all of the time. Like I could explain to you a meme and you'd probably recognize it. So there's a, there's a, there's a social value that has been completely transformed from what would have been 20 years ago, us talking at the water cooler in the office to us, you know, being a thousand miles apart, talking digitally. If you think about the financial stores of value that we're using today, they were invented 150 years ago, like cash, like what is, and, and, and we're trying to translate that into a digital society. So it, there is a lack, there is a, there are, no matter how well you design the ability to insert your credit card number into a storefront, or no matter how well you design, um, you know, how you can buy things, sell things online with your credit cards or credit card information, there's just things that are built within the infrastructure, talking about infrastructure, the baseline uh, components of it, that are built, that were built and established 150 years ago, a centralized bank processing fees within the credit card timeframes, but, but not in just like the processing. It's like, you're not doing the processing. It has to go through like five different hands. Um, so crypto is a digital internet natively designed financial store of value. That is the, that is what it is. But Carson, um, I can't the, hold it. It's not tangible. Yeah, but you can hold a dollar, but like, what is that? It's a piece of paper. You assign the monetary value to it. There is no physical difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill. From a physical standpoint, it's the same, same thing. You just added two zeros to it. So why is that different? It's because we all collectively agree that the $1 Correct. bill has a, is worth a dollar, whatever a dollar is. Correct. And that we collectively agree that the one that has 100 on it is worth 100 Exactly. But you're right. Inherently, and, and, that piece of paper is not worth $100. If it was just a exactly. piece of paper, it's not worth a hundred dollars. But because what even is a hundred dollars? It's that's true, <laughs> and and you can think back to long ago society when you know trade started happening, or you know people were using shells. I think that was one of the first currencies. They had mm -hmm. shells that were that they were using to transact and buy meat or vegetables or shoes, whatever they were buying way 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 long ago. And they just all collectively agreed that, hey, this sized shell is worth, you know, a, uh, a vegetable or a, a piece of meat. And they, it was just a collective agreement by that society. And so that's what we've done with the U.S. dollar and other things is we've collectively agreed with the systems in place that this is what this is worth. And it kind of seems like that's what's happening with crypto now is that there is a a vastly growing and quickly growing group of people across the world that are starting to collectively agree or who have collectively agreed that this stuff, this digitally stored currency has value. Exactly. And now the beauty of the crypto world is there's a lot more that you can do with it in a lot faster and more efficient way. So people... Now, let me just parse through a couple of headlines because people are saying how like there's a lot with uh, crypto that is like not sustainable, right? Um, talking about like even what, a, what is a gas fee? 
A gas fee is nothing more than processing capacity of computers, right? And so there's a cost and energy supplied. Well, sure. Just no different from when you go and if you've had to wire money at a bank before, a lot of times you get charged a a $10 or $25 fee to, to wire. Correct. Correct. So there is some, you know, there's updates to the technology that will make it considerably more energy efficient. So if you're, if you're anything, if you know anything about Ethereum, look at Ethereum 2.0. The efficiency there is going to be crazy. There's also like Solana is a very efficient uh, blockchain um, ecosystem. So I don't mean efficiency in terms of like the actual energy expenditure that there is improvements there, but there's an efficiency possibility within the crypto space. So, for example, why is it that you can't take money out of your bank account on a Saturday? Because no one's working at the bank on Saturday. Yeah. Like, think about how fundamentally messed up that is. Like, your life savings is, you're being told that you can't, you're not in control of it. And even in, even in that situation, even though you, quote, have this X amount of, say you had $100 in your bank account, um, where is it? The bank is using $100 to do its own investing. And then like, oh, if you want to take out a deposit, well, we don't have the cash here. It'll take like two days to transfer to you. Sure. That's like, why, think ba- about why f- yeah, that's why banks are always uh, scared about a run on the bank. It's like, hey, exactly. if we think, you know, that's what happened in the Great Depression is that everyone made a run so, on the banks and exactly. they didn't so actually there's a have the There's cash. a fundamental like decentralization of power that crypto is trying to... Um, give back to individuals where it's like, okay, well, should, should there really only be like five banks that are controlling all of your money? Probably not. Like you should be in control of your money. And that's, that's the whole value of blockchain is this decentralization of, of where we have those stores of value. Um, So where NFTs come into play so if you just think about cash, right? So like cash, cash is cash, money is money, right? So I could basically say, hey, Clay, give me this cup of coffee for a dollar. Here's your dollar. Here's my coffee. It's very like simple in transaction, right? Before NFTs, you know, that, that's how you could consider crypto, where it's like, I will literally just give you this value for that value straight up. That's it. Like, I'll give you one Bitcoin for this or you know, some Ethereum for that, right? It's very well, wasn't simple. Wasn't the very first Bitcoin transaction a pizza? Two Papa John's pizzas. How many Bitcoin did the guy use at the time? I think it was like 10,000. Yeah, 10,000 Bitcoin, which would be what, like $6 billion worth of Bitcoin now? <laughs> Something crazy. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what it is. Let's Google and, it. And, yeah, and the that trade was, was roughly worth $613 million today. Yeah, yeah. So he paid $613 million in, but that yeah, was a 10,000 Bitcoin, Bitcoin for two Papa John's pizzas 11 yeah, years ago. It, what was, yeah, it was okay, 11 years ago. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's but, hilarious. But that's, yeah. but that's an ex- a great example. I mean, he, I'm sure, doesn't love it now, but so, that's a exactly. great ex- example of just so the classic way to use exactly money. Exactly right. So now people would consider that like ludicrous of like that is that they, they that's why they think of crypto as play money or something like that. But it is nothing different than the inflation of the US dollar. It's actually, it is, it is different. And here's why I'll explain it of why. Um, like for example, like you, you think about like, a, you know, you look at advertisements from 50 years ago, it's like, oh, you can buy this meal for a nickel. Like that's crazy, that's crazy town. 
So that's why, like, if you have just cash sitting, people are always like, don't just have cash sitting because it's going to lose value in terms of inflation, um, which is a whole nother discussion about today and, like, my views of people overblowing certain aspects of the, the quote, inflation happening right now. There are some parts of that that do happen to be because the U.S. Treasury printed, white I don't know how many trillion dollars. So talking about the market cap where... This is another value of crypto where it's like, okay, so you're saying that the government, the U.S. government is in control of the supply of the U.S. dollars. So let's say I have $100 in my bank account and then the U.S. government just adds $2 trillion to the market cap. That dilutes the value or the perceived value of my $100. Um, same thing with the euro. Same thing with a lot of these countries. You, you can actually Google it. There's a lot of countries that are adopting crypto significantly faster because they've just been screwed over in their um, their government's um, financial systems due to like exorbitant amount of inflation, their value of their dollars just like so much less than what it used to be. Well, I think in um, Zimbabwe, I think was one of the core examples when we were growing up is that they were just burning it. I mean, they were using it as toilet paper because you know the, the person it. in charge just kept printing and printing and printing and printing, and it just completely diluted uh, the the entire you know Zimbabwe dollar and people couldn't use it at all. Yeah. So the that is a that is a humanistic intervention of the quote value of the dollar or the those the currencies. The beauty of crypto, now this isn't in all the case. Bitcoin is an example where there is a set amount of bitcoin period. There will there is no more bitcoin. There's a certain amount. Yeah, there's 21 million um, bitcoin. That's not necessarily the case with other cryptos, but the other cases are it is a defined um, code-based release uh, set of rules yeah. that cannot be changed. So there's a consistency to it. Like, for example, like the U.S. dollar could just change from administration to administration or from, you know, Fed to Fed where they're like, okay, we're going to print about all, these, all this money and we're going to give you this interest rate or something like that, right? We're so dependent on specific sources of power to define what the, quote, value of the U.S. dollar is. Crypto is trying to remove that. It's a decentralization of power um, in terms of definition of roles or definition of value store. So the where where NFTs come into play, right? That, so that's all talking about crypto. So NFTs are a complex, can be a, a more complex way in which you can transfer value. So for example, the analogy I gave was like, okay, you have a cup of coffee, I'll give you $1 for it. Boom, that's a simple transaction. And I can do that with cash. Um, but let's say today, like I want to buy a house and you're lending me, you know, half a million dollars to buy this house. And there's a, there's a design system in which I will pay you back for those certain things. And you're going to hold my home, my physical home, um, on, uh, as a, as a, as collateral, what, what do you collateral? There you go. That's the word, uh, as collateral. And I sign this piece of paper, physical paper, to basically state that you, Clay, own my house if I don't pay you X amount of interest over 20 years, blah, 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 blah. There's complexity into that. But if you think about it, um, how ancient is that process? Oh, in it's a sense I of, mean, I, I, in my you know, kind of the way I go about real estate, I've been in many real estate transactions over the last decade, and you got to provide basically your life story every time to the banks and provide them every statement, everything. They need to know every little detail. And I get it. I get why. But 
there's paper, there's processes, you got to drive to places, you got to wire money, you've got to, I mean, you're spending a lot of your own personal time to ensure that this institution can trust you as a person with their money. Correct. So, but that is a complex process and it's just happening in an archaic sense with paperwork and processing times and this and that. What an NFT is, is a, people say smart contract, but back to the, back to me not liking definitions of things or, or over, overuse of, de- of specific words. Like what does a smart contract mean? Well, an NFT is basically leveraging the blockchain technology and it is native to those crypto stores of value that we hold and it's code-based. So imagine like having, um, having your house being purchased through an NFT. Because it's an NFT, uh, it's built on the blockchain and because it's built on the blockchain, you can see all the details of the original construction of that whether there was you know, payments made for a certain land ownership transfer or certain updates to the home, certain um, improvements. If you have the mindset where I want all of my value transfers to come through this particular NFT when it comes to the ownership of this home, it's all traceable. So why do I have to pay $20,000 of my $500,000 to an appraiser to tell me something that I already know? Like every detail about the home, all the details, all the all the updates, all the things that go into it. So you're right? you're That's saying the that there's blockchain. a there's a le- a ledger. The blockchain is basically a ledger, a yeah. ledger of of the past transactions, past value, everything that is needed, all the detail, all the data is in this ledger, and this ledger is immutable, meaning it can't be touched, it can't be altered in any form or fashion. Yeah. So you could kind of think of of blockchain or crypto as like the ability or an NFT is the ability to have a more well-documented transfer value. And so what is, so that is like, that is one possibility. And the, back to the analogy of me showing up, you know, drunk at a party and that's the only, that's the only view people have of me. That is like, in essence, like NFT is that that's the technology. That's what's possible. Um, you can apply that to many different ways. So talking about basically our personalities or our core values, like it's not about a job, it's about how you apply those things to different jobs. The, the fundamentals of an NFT are not what you see in the headlines where, oh, this board ape is being sold for $600,000 and that's a you know 5X increase over the last 24 hours. That is just one of the ways in which NFTs can be applied. And so the art world, which has typically been screwed over by you know hedge funds or financial people just looking at art as an investment you know most artists don't see even a fraction of the total quote value or perceived value of their work nor do they nor do their families so one of the things that's really caught on with nfts and the reason why the art market has kind of picked up on it really well especially during the pandemic when everything was digital was i can design a contract i can de- i can develop a digital piece of artwork for example, memes. Like people use memes all the time or people use GIFs all the time. Someone made those memes. Like someone was the original creator of that meme that you've seen so much social value for. But why is that person not compensated in any form or fashion? Like I, to set the mood in my apartment, like I go physically buy a candle to make my experience better. I use GIFs or I use memes to make my conversations, my digital conversations better. 
Like, why should that person who has created so much value for so many people not be able to be compensated? That's number one. That's just in concept of how to buy digital assets. But number two is like, say I have a, a photograph that I sell to you, Clay, for um, $10 today. And you sell it next year for $10,000 because this podcast is the start of my, you know, blow up exponential growth, artistic, professional career. And all my pieces are going to be 100x the value. I can have it designed in my NFT contract where I sell it to you. But anytime that it's transferred to another owner, I get 10% kickback. So you could then sell it to someone next year for $10,000 and I get $1,000 in my in my wallet automatically. So to put Without that in context even, of, of real art or excuse me, of tangible art, I should say, yeah, is the Mona Lisa. So let's say that Leonardo da Vinci said, I'm going to sell this piece of art, the Mona Lisa, to Carson's great, 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 great grandfather for $20. Well, great. Leonardo da Vinci gets $20. But then what if Carson's great, 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 great grandfather turns around and sells it for $2 million? How much does Leonardo da Vinci get? Zero. You got nothing. And let's just say, and if people are like, well, that's a physical painting. Well, I'm going to go take the Mona Lisa. I'm going to put it up in my house. The actual Mona Lisa. It is now in my house. I have physically moved it from my from the Louvre to my house. I own it, don't I? The Louvre would say, no, we own it. Well, how how do you know that? Well, we have this piece of paper, this contract, this this point of sale that we own it. We bought it from this point at this point in time. Or it was donated and we signed this document. Well, it's like, so that is that is the that is today how we deem it as tangibly owned, uh, like ownership of the Mona Lisa to the Louvre. That is no different than a transaction in the blockchain. And that's why people that's that's the thing that's funny about like people saying, well, I don't know, like how do you trust the blockchain transaction? Talking about tangible physical goods, it's like, yeah, but like how do you transact ownership today? You sign a piece of paper. Wouldn't it make a lot more sense to just do that in a blockchain where it's like so secure, all detailed, like every transaction history and it's more intelligent? Like that's the analogy today. It's like I could go physically take the Mona Lisa and then they would still say I don't own it. And that's correct because there was no transaction and I didn't sign a piece of paper. But I could just do that in a blockchain NFT today. So it doesn't matter whether it's a digital asset or a physical asset. An NFT is the future of contracts, period. And to tie it all back, because I know that we're both on a time crunch here, and I think that this is going to spill into a second edition of Build with Carson Masterson because I, I can tell the passion from both of us around this space is palpable. So I want to I want to make sure that we can continue this. But to bring it back, you talked about walking in drunk to a room and that's the first time someone had seen you and they say, who is this Carson Masterson person? Obviously, he doesn't have his shit together. What is he doing? <laughs> and that is crypto. Punk. I don't do that, that all the time, I, by the way. I know, I know. Listening. But that funny but, analogy. But that that analogy is those those are the like crypto punks and and pieces of NFT that people think, gosh, this is what NFT is. When really the real Carson or the real NFT is this incredible, incredibly powerful mechanism and incredibly power, uh, powerful um, kind of technology-based thing that can be applied to so many other things in life. You talked about real estate. We can talk about art. You can talk about ticketing. I mean, there are so many things that NFTs can become. 
And yeah, exactly. it's it's more than just that, you know, drunk person walking into a room that you're thinking, gosh, I Correct. don't I don't really love and now it's not that now initial, some people- <laughs> it's not that initial reaction. Like people are and that's the thing too, that the last thing about that is people are saying NFTs are such in a in a in a bubble right now. No, they're not. NFTs are not it, it's just a, a technology. It's just a it, it's an advancement of the way in which we transfer value. What is in a bubble well, is maybe it, these kind of like trading card type applications of it, right? That might be in a bubble. Well, and also it only right. takes one person to see value in something. That's it. One person. So if one person sees value in an NFT that you create, Carson, or they see value in that crypto punk, whatever, it's, that's all it takes. If one person sees value in it, then that's truly all that matters. I mean, I can walk into, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm an art aficionado, but I could walk into the Louvre or into, you know, any major art museum. And if I see a painting that is completely blue and has one orange stripe, I'm sitting there thinking I can make that <laughs> right. Like that, yeah. how, like my five-year-old could probably do something like that, but there are people in this world and it only takes one to see tremendous priceless value in it. There you go. To make yep. it valuable. And that's all that it matters. And so if you Carson are walking into a room drunk, there are going to be a lot of people that may think, Oh gosh, who is this guy? But there's probably gonna be a couple of people in that room. They're going to think, man, I like this version of Carson. Like this guy seems exactly. really cool. Yeah, there you go. Right. And yeah. so th- there's it's just a, it's a very narrow, simple introduction to it. Yeah. It's basically like the way to say it. Well, right? thank you for getting us. Thank you it. for getting us started on the NFT crypto front. I would love if you're open to it, would love to have a future conversation on the pod about this, because I think that there's a lot of interest and a lot of confusion on this topic. And you bring a really interesting viewpoint, especially coming from the art world and the technology world to kind of blend those things together. Absolutely. Well, Carson, I greatly, greatly appreciate the time that you spent. I had a lot of fun talking about a whole lot of, a whole host of things. It's been really cool. I appreciate you being yourself on this pod. And, you know, I really think you came through here and just, I think you're an amazingly gifted, um, caring person. And I'm just really grateful to have you in my life. I'm grateful that you shared part of your story today. And, um, you know, I think that I'm sure you're going to have inspired someone out there to do something maybe a little bit different or to just get started. So before we end, I'd love to hear from you. Where can people find you and your work? Um, right now, Instagram is my main thing. Carson Masterson at Carson Masterson. Um, I'm also redesigning my website, carsonmasterson.com. I've also consolidated a lot of my videos, my Fresh Perspectives Only, my other artist features, and then I'm going to be releasing some tech videos, tech breakdowns of like NFTs, crypto, things like that, um, data and AI um, applications, things like that, more of the technical side of my um, repertoire, as you would say. Uh, those will all be on my YouTube channel, um, so you can just search me, Carson Masterson there. I need to get a hundred followers. That is a new channel that I just need to get a hundred followers on. So I can say youtube.com slash Carson Masterson. Don't have that yet. But once I get that, you should be able to go to youtube.com slash Carson Masterson. You can find him in all those places. I'll make sure that they're in the show notes so you can easily click and find him. Carson, thank you a ton. We've built with Carson Masterson today, and I'm sure we're going to do it again. Hope everyone out there has a great day. Thanks again, Carson. Hey listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. 
I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.